Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hello everyone. We have an exciting podcast guest today and his name is Carl Courtney. And Carl is going to share some very interesting insights with us today in terms of leadership during a crisis. So Carl is the founder of Hard Rain. It's a crisis management consultancy, one of the leading crisis management consultancies. And Carl has extensive experience in handling and leading people and companies when they are facing a very tough crisis. So very big welcome to you, Carl. Thank you very much for joining us today. Would you like to do a short introduction? Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm uh, delighted to uh, share some of my insights uh, with your uh, listenership. Um, yes, I mean, I've, I've been doing uh, crisis work for some 40 years now. It's a bit, when I say that, it's, uh, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a shock even to myself. But I started out really uh, running a public relations agency where uh, quite a few of our clients over the years found themselves getting into trouble. And I, from a quite a young age, I found myself gravitating towards, towards the difficult stuff. And it, in part, it's because a lot of my colleagues didn't want to do it. I mean, you know, why, why would you walk towards danger and, and, and handle stuff that was uh, going to be potentially explosive? Um, it was partly because I, I found intellectually it was fascinating to, to, to try and help crack problems that organisations and, and sometimes individuals found themselves in. So I found myself doing more and more crisis work. And in the end, um, I sold my business in 2014 and opened up Hard Rain as an independent where... This is what I do, um, sort of full time. The, the, the offer I make to um, potential clients is really twofold. Uh, either I get brought in to help firefight, you know, something's gone wrong. You know, how the hell can we extricate ourselves from this with the least possible damage? And that, of course, is always very interesting. Uh, but it's not the rump of my work. Uh, the rump of my work is where enlightened organisations sense and realise that. Basically, all organizations at some point get into a crisis and the smart ones uh, ready themselves for that in advance. So I would work with an organization to build a crisis team uh, and, and get them to a state of what we call crisis preparedness, which really is just a sort of jargon word for saying that when something goes wrong, everyone in the organization knows exactly what to do and you kick into a plan it's become seamless however big the problem everyone knows roles and responsibilities and as a result the sort of smooth well it's not always smooth but a smoother sort of uh, play comes into force and it's a more natural response and a more informed response so the training i do um, is around the world pre-pandemic um, so for my largest client, uh, I've trained over 100 people around the world in the last few years. And basically, I get people in a better place for the time when something goes wrong. Well, I'm sure you've got plenty of stories to share with us um, on that front. And we're seeing crises every day, aren't we? I mean, there's been a crisis recently in the news, which we talked about 
um, institutionally with Grant Thornton and Valerie Patisserie. So that's going to rock their reputation. But even you know, smaller businesses can be impacted by a crisis. So how would you, what would you define a crisis to be, Carl? Is there a kind of criteria that you would say this company is going into a crisis because X, Y, Z has happened? Well, I, I, it's a very good question, Rebecca. And it's one I, I get asked from time to time. But I, what I find is um, typically leadership of organizations will say to me and, and more importantly to their colleagues, I don't think we've got a crisis here, you know, because the natural instinct of, of leaders in organizations is to downplay a crisis. And my response to that is, is it's actually not what you think. If anyone else thinks that you've got a crisis, the chances are that you actually have. So from the moment something goes wrong, whether that's an incident or it's what we call a slow burn, a, a smoldering crisis, this starts to emerge, then actually the correct thing for to do is to accept that you're in a crisis mode and it might be a mild one, or it might be a serious one, but deal with it accordingly. So most people, I think, realise that once they come under unusual scrutiny, they are effectively in play in a crisis and they need to get on with it really quickly. And would you say that scrutiny is when the press gets hold of it? Well, I, I think the press uh, are overplayed in, the, in respect of crises. I think there are many audiences just as important. So employees, uh, uh, customers, suppliers, regulators, you know, yeah. the industry as a whole. People tend not to look at those people. Now, I accept that the media is the prism through which we all uh, develop and interpret our own views on, 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 on everything. But that notwithstanding, I think there are plenty of people to worry about uh, when you get to on the cusp of a crisis or a crisis breaks that you should get you know you should give equal uh, consideration to um, and so that's really really important that organizations map who is important to them before anything goes wrong what would you say Carl, is the best leadership um, to deal with the crisis so we can we talk about leadership on this podcast different styles of leadership but have you come across a particular type of leadership maybe culture in a business that's really good at handling a crisis and can kind of preempt some of that crisis from getting to such a degree that it's almost unstoppable. Yeah, I'm in danger of giving a really long answer to this, but I mean, I think I think the fact is that organisations that are very mindful of risk management are, are in a very good place. I mean, the acceptance by leadership that something can go wrong is a really good place to start. Um, so uh, good quality organisations will always have a risk register. They'll regularly review that with, with a senior team. Um, what they won't probably have on that are the sort of sort of black swan events. Um, stuff that comes out that they never really thought would happen to them. Um, and also probably not what's on the risk register. And kind of more interesting to me as a sort of crisis practitioner is the stuff that we call the elephant in the room, okay? And that's the stuff where you've got a very charismatic leader of an organization. And actually they may have some behavioral issues, but because they're a strong leader and everyone's career is effectively reliant on their, on their whim, if you like, you know, the, the elephant in the room is the stuff that never really gets talked about because we don't mention it to X, Y, Z. I mean, I think a very good example of that is Ted Baker, which was a fantastically successful retailer. You know, came out of Glasgow with very poor origins, 
I found a Ray Kelvin, uh, put the business together. Uh, the business was worth, you know, billions at its height. And yet, you know, this guy, Ray Kelvin, uh, courted his sort of image as a maverick. And one of his behaviors was that he would touch staff. He would hug them, kiss them. And actually, the start of his downfall came when employees started to complain about this on social media, because actually they had no one to go to. HR wouldn't listen to them. No one would accept that it was a problem. It was just old Ray being good old Ray. And of course, the, the fire was lit on social media. And before you knew where you were, there was an investigation called. Um, you know, he, he was temporarily suspended and ultimately he left the business. Um, but what became culture for the organization was the fact that inappropriate touching was just acceptable. So as a leader, sometimes, you know, um, they can sometimes be the problem in themselves. But let's swing this around to what makes a good leader. I think, you know, intelligence, a worldview, recognition that they are not bulletproof, that everyone has vulnerabilities, however hard you try not to have. Uh, I'm looking for a leader with, you know, perhaps humility, certainly curiosity. When something goes wrong, you know, how can this have happened? Um, a determination to succeed, of course, and, uh, and loyalty is hugely important, not to try and blame it on someone, especially either a supplier or someone within the business. And that, that's just poor thinking and very short termism. So I'm looking for a rounded leader and someone who trusts his colleagues. Do you, how would this apply to um, perhaps, Carl, I mean, thank you for sharing that, but to a small business that may not have that re risk register in place, um, businesses with a small team, what would you encourage them to do? Because they can equally face risks, maybe on a smaller scale, but what practical steps would you encourage them to put in place to prepare for a potential crisis in their business? Well, I think it's a fairly simple job for the leader of any organisation, even if you've got you know, you've got two or three colleagues. I mean, it affects them if you run a, you know, a small retailer, you could do this. And just, you know, whiteboard, you know, what are the things that could potentially go wrong? I mean, everyone who runs a business has a what keeps me awake at night moment, you know. You know, what are the things that you worry about? You know, it, it could be something simple. It could be, you know, uh, shrinkage in a retailer, you know, a member of staff, you know, stealing from the till. It could be anything. But, you know, list them all out. And then, you know, I, I'm a great believer in business continuity. Um, you know, try and map out what the action is out of those worries. You know, what can you do? Do you put CCTV somewhere? Do you do more training? You know, what are the things that you can do? Some things, of course, are, are terribly difficult. And currently in the news, supply chain is a massive problem. I mean, can we get our goods? I had a quite a long uh, call with a CEO yesterday who's been told that uh, the product that he makes a, a lot of money on in his business is no longer going to be available from January because the product can't. So the product's not available. So you've got a multi-source. So actually he's been working on this. He, his company been working on this for some time. So, you know, before a problem becomes a, an intractable problem, a real problem, a problem that might cause you real grief, try and see how you can mitigate it before that problem comes out. So a small business owner should be really aware of almost everything that, that might go wrong. And then not as an urgency, but as a sort of work stream, what can we do to try and eliminate as many of these problems as we can? And if we can't eliminate them, how can we reduce the probability of them happening? You've, you've talked about if you have a problem, it's to face into that problem and accept that you've got it. So when you're in that crisis moment and, you know, things are going very uh, wrong for you, 
and you've accepted it, what are the next things to do? I mean, what does a good crisis management plan or good leadership in a crisis look like? Well, I would I would probably go back to medium and, and largest sort of t- type enterprises. Uh, I think you know you know what hard rain does is is put in place a, a team, uh, a crisis management team, and quite often I I counsel that the CEO shouldn't be on that. So I want I want a, a, a small team, you know, perhaps five or six qualified people in the business that really know their space. So you might have someone who knows customers, you might have someone who knows production, you probably have someone with finance in there, you'd probably have legal uh, opinion, but you can always bring those in from the outside. But So um, if you've got a really sharp team, someone who knows what goes on in the business is very aware of the supply chain. So in food and drink, you know, who are the suppliers? That put, allow us to create the product that we put on the shelves with our brand. They have to have that knowledge and the relationship up the supply chain that they can call on that knowledge. If, if, they, if they've got that really, really strong team, when something goes wrong, they have a much better idea if they've gone through correct training, which is to, this is what happens when something goes wrong. These are your roles and responsibilities. If you report into a CEO, a CEO can then be appropriately dispassionate ask the tough questions of the team, maybe lead externally to all the audiences to say what's happening, but actually have that degree of distance so they can make that evaluation about how the problem's being tackled. Because at the end of the day, crisis management is largely about starting off an investigation because something has gone wrong. We have to investigate what has gone wrong, how it's gone wrong, and how we're going to fix it. When can we fix it? So you get asked questions through a crisis. And I think to have a a team who really know their stuff, uh, are masters of their areas, have all the right contacts, they should be really running the crisis on behalf of the organisation. So a a couple of things that spring to mind there, um, Carl, would be it's about relationships. So having relationships with customers and suppliers, if they're strong, that's going to help you through a crisis situation. What about the day-to-day, how you handle it? I mean, I immediately think, well, it's about being calm, but what other kind of traits and skills do you need when you're in the thick of that crisis situation to lead your business through it? Well, a good leader will work very hard on trust with all audiences, whether that's shareholders, uh, suppliers, or any of the key people to them. And you have this bank of trust and good quality organisations build up that bank of trust because... When crisis happens, you can draw on that bank of trust. Now, you're going to lose some of that trust unless you perform really well, but trust will exist. If you don't have any trust, if you don't care about your employees or your suppliers or even, dare I say, customers, and that does exist, then you have no trust. So you're immediately in problems. So the difference between organisations, I think, that come out of crisis well are those that have done a lot of the spade work before something goes wrong. And of course, some people say, well, why should I bother with that? Because I might never need it. And indeed that is true, but you say the same about insurance, but it doesn't mean that you wouldn't have fire insurance in your building. The chances of it being burned down, we know are pretty remote, but if it does burn down, what are you gonna do without your insurance? So I try to talk to organizations and say, they need to prepare for crisis in the same way they do for any other serious eventuality. Um, and, And crisis management at the best is sort of reputational insurance. So, you know, they need to invest in it. It's such a good way to look at it. And don't wait, wait until that crisis is upon you. Make sure you've got the culture, the leadership and all your plans in place before that happens makes 
very good sense because we don't know when that crisis is going to happen. And we've experienced that quite, you know, recently through um, COVID that a crisis can pop up at any time, even when we didn't plan for it, even when we didn't foresee it happening. So, yeah, please, please jump in. Yeah, there. I was going to say, so I mean, COVID obviously interests me greatly. So I had a lot of work when COVID started for, for obvious reasons. Uh, people were coming to grips with it, um, you know, and, and clients that were prepared for crisis generally, I think, you know, handled it better without a doubt. But I, what I would say about COVID is that everyone says, well, we got through the biggest crisis of a, of a lifetime, never mind a generation. So, we'll, you know, we've got nothing to fear. Well, what I would say to that is that COVID was ubiquitous. It affected everyone. So you were never singled out. And I think individuals, leaders particularly, who've never had the finger pointed at them with the media, with big customers, with the banks, with all the big stakeholders in the business to say, what are you doing and why has this gone wrong? will have learned no lessons from COVID because it affected everyone. So much of the work that I do is to try and make organizations realize what it's like when the finger gets pointed at you and it feels very, very different when you're under the spotlight and no one else is. So yes, there were some lessons from COVID. I mean, people learn things like remote working we all currently live with and it's been a game changer for culture of many organizations. But I wouldn't want any of your listeners to think that because they got through COVID that they were somehow or other, uh, you know, protected from any future event. It simply won't be the case. No, and that's important to remember, isn't it? The spotlight is on you as the chief executive, as a leader of that business at that time. Mm. Would you, could you share with us, Carl, a situation um, or a crisis that you've actually led a company through? Obviously, you know, you're not going to give out any details or any names, but just some examples of where you helped businesses um, through a crisis situation? Yeah, okay, well, uh, a couple that spring to mind. Um, one is for a, a, a well-known financial institution in London, um, run predominantly by males, uh, big beast mentality, furious amounts of money made by individuals, run on testosterone and arrogance. Um, also have a big drinking culture. And um, one of their most important traders uh, was enjoying a, a very fulsome uh, liquid lunch, uh, which went on most of the afternoon uh, with some customers. The customers peeled off. They carried on drinking with colleagues, uh, went home and actually, against all uh, expectations, physically assaulted someone on public transport. Um, and it became quite quickly uh, established that it was a racially motivated attack. The person was individual, sorry, the individual was arrested and, and placed in police custody. And I got the phone call at 11 o'clock at night. Now, what was interesting about this to me was that because the trader was so successful and making so much money for the organization, the CEO wanted to protect the employee. I mean, wrap cotton wool around them and make the problem go away. What I said to the CEO, which I don't think the HR department even would have said, I said, do you want your organization to be known for condoning racially abusive alcoholic behavior? I mean, is the culture going to be, if you protect this employee, that tacitly this is now acceptable behavior? And he said, well, of course I don't, but this is different. This, this trade is really important for me. Anyway, cutting to the chase, I pretty much, you know, in an open meeting said, well, if you don't run an independent investigation uh, and suspend the employee who has actually been arrested in police custody while you undertake this uh, investigation, I think your organization's reputation and its culture is going to be changed irrevocably. 
Um, and that was quite a hard thing, but it's certainly not what the CEO wanted to hear. So again, you know, part of the reason for having external counsel is that someone who's actually not afraid, because if you turn around and said to me, look, you're fired, I'm not, I'm not interested in your opinion, I'll shrug my shoulders and move on. I mean, I, I, I've said what I think is the right thing. Of course, if you're the, either the HR director or another senior board member who lives in fear of this person, you're just not going to say that. You know, you're, you're going to be complicit in, yeah, how can we, how can we cover this up? You know, how can we make the problem go away? Well, you can't make problems like that go away. They have to be dealt with in a, in a transparent way. So that might be one. So a much bigger one, and one that possibly I'm best known for, was the uh, my client Securitas, who in 2006 were robbed, was robbed of uh, £53.5 million from the Tombridge robbery. And it was the biggest domestic story of the year. Uh, I was appointed to the police gold group. And for the immediate week after the uh, robbery, um, you know, we had an unbelievable uh, attention from everyone that was important. We had number 10 coming on, the Bank of England, the insurers. Uh, we had the investigation, obviously. We had the media. I mean, the media was just unbelievable. I fielded in that week alone um, 360 separate media interviews. Uh, in one week as the spokesperson for security. So the sleep was not a commodity I had much of. But then it went on, you know, it went on from there. And, um, you know, when you do something like that, you, you, your client is partly buying your experience and your expertise and your time. You know, I was able to take a lot of the heat out from some of these critical audiences by being sort of inextricably linked to the business and understanding the dynamic of what was going on to allow them to get on with business continuity, to get on with running the business of delivering cash into the supply chain of UK PLC. And it was all consuming and, and probably the single biggest crisis I've ever handled, but you know, one I'm inordinately proud of. Um, you know, they came out of it as, as well as you can. Um, you know, many battles within the context of that, not least of which uh, the sort of, public perception that the criminals were somehow rather, you know, cheeky chappies, you know, who, you know, got away with 53 million quid and wouldn't it be great to have all that money? And it fell to me to point out that they actually took the manager of the, of the depot at gunpoint, his wife and child and threatened to murder them in front of them. Um, you know, the reality of crime is pretty ugly. So there's an enormous sort of body of work and uh, and sort of pent up kind of emotion that goes around a, a major event. And, and your job as a crisis and as external uh, handler of this kind of crisis is to, you know, make sure that everyone makes the right decisions and, and ensure that the voice of, of reason is heard among all the clutter. And I guess adding to that, um, Carl, today we would have to deal with fake news. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a huge problem. Um, and, you know, I'm asked often, how can you deal with it? And the answer is, is that, you know, as Trump would testify, you know, you, you, although he was a contributor to it, um, you know, you have to live with it. So you have to embrace it. And social media in itself has a power of its own. Mm -hmm. So when I was first in business with the media, you were able to not control it, but, you know, you'd have five or six really key people, you know, someone from Sky, someone on the BBC, the FT, you know, et cetera. And, you know, if you're able to plate these people and, you know, put your point of view, what came out was, you know, a, a, a very reasoned and seasoned and responsible uh, response to the problem that was being created. But of course, now you can't control that. You just can't. So you have to do your bit and you have to plow on. And there's an element of having to ignore it. There's an element of having to make the appropriate corrections to misconceptions. Um, but it's a much more complex problem than it was. 
uh, and there are no easy answers. No, it's a, it's a very big challenge when that when that hits you. And I can see how having somebody with your expertise and knowledge and all of that experience will really help a business in that situation. And as you've said, hold a mirror to them so they get that message, which uh, their team may not be prepared to, to face into or to uh, give the right message to the leader. So I think that's invaluable that you yeah. help businesses through that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the training is particularly important. I mean, one of the sort of my, my key questions, uh, well, statements is not even a question really, is when something goes wrong, the question that's asked by, by whoever, it could be the police, it could be the court, um, it could be the media, it can be employees, it can be a customer. When did you find out about this problem? What did you know when you found out and what did you do about it? I mean, I'm afraid that even in this day and age, in 2021, that the first uh, natural reaction of many business leaders is to try and hide the problem, is to try and not tell people, to try and say that, you know, this is a problem that if we, you know, if we can bury this, we can make the problem go away. And you know what? There are very few examples where that's ever a successful strategy. So given the fact that almost certainly the problem will out, you have to tackle the problem head on from day one in the most responsible way that you can. And, and the first part of that is acceptance that you're in crisis. Yeah. The rest should follow from there. And to do some preparation work beforehand, All, to work yeah. out how you're going to handle that should yeah. that situation arise. Yeah, I mean, some of the listeners to this may remember the days when organisations used to have a crisis manual. It sat on, you know, the chief executive's shelf and was dusted down once a year and perhaps thumbed through. But, you know, was, the, the world has moved on from now, and I basically don't believe in any of that. I don't believe there's any sort of pre-preparation that you can do that can <clears throat> accurately inform a response to a crisis. So what we do now, as I've already said, is we train a team and, 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 and test them. And we create, you know, really quite complicated and sometimes very technical scenarios within the safety of a classroom. And by throwing a problem at a, a crisis management team for an organisation before there's a problem gives you this sort of muscle memory that when something really goes wrong, they know exactly how to, to, to respond. And, 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 and what's not in there is going to a, some sort of Bible that was written 10 years ago that might or might not tell them what to do. Actually, Every crisis is different. I've never worked on two crises the same. Now, they might form into similar categories. You know, they could be from human condition. They could be from supply chain. They could be from product failure. You know, of course, there are a sort of, you know, baskets of, of these things, but no two are ever the same exactly. So the team has to be ready to be deal with it in a, in a unique way. And the way to do that is to get them used to dealing with crisis and different forms of crisis so that when it comes, they are agile, on their feet, ready to deal with it. Well, thank you very much for sharing that knowledge with us and your expertise, Carl. It's been absolutely, uh, I've really enjoyed understanding and listening about some of the crises that you've, you've dealt with and sharing your advice. And before we come to a close, a couple of questions. Um, one is, what advice would you give to your younger self about leadership from what you know now? <clears throat> Um, what advice I take? Well, probably I would have I, I would have said spend more time uh, in training, you know, and by that I mean perhaps taking three months out to go and do a vocational course somewhere, you know, Harvard if I could have made it or London Business School if I couldn't, 
you know, possibly doing an MBA. I, <clears throat> I think I was set, I set up in business on my own when I was just over 20 years of age. And I think I had the arrogance of youth that I could learn it on the job. And I suppose my relative success is proof of that. But I'm, I'm, I also have enough humility now to know that if I'd learned some of the key things earlier, I might have made more progress and probably quicker. That's probably what I would have done. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to have an opportunity in just a minute to hear about how people can get in touch with you or whatever you might like to share about your business. It's your opportunity to, to share that. Just before we go into that, I am just going to make um, a very short um, announcement for listeners. So as a, we're very respectful and thank our listeners very much for listening to the podcast and listening each week and giving us your feedback. And I'd just like to share that I've recently, excuse me, created and um, published a course on how to use LinkedIn to generate leads for your business. And in fact, Carl, you joined me recently on a webinar on that. And if you'd like to find out more about that, it's a case of simply going to linkedinsystem.argen.co.uk and you can find out some more details about it. But this is about you, Carl. So over to you. To, to wrap up, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, first of all, I'll give you a quick endorsement. I, I, I enjoyed our session enormously. It was an hour very well spent and I, and I learned stuff I didn't know. And uh, there can't be a better use of your time, can there, um, than, than finding out stuff you don't know. So, and I suppose I would turn that around and, and make that offer to any of your listeners. If they've got questions about crisis management, then please get in touch. I'm Carl with a C at hardrain, one word, .co.uk. Um, I've got a website, uh, hardrain.co.uk as well. Have a look at that. You can see what my offer is. Uh, I'd be delighted to talk to anyone um, uh, free of charge uh, to talk about, you know, uh, <clears throat> what their problems might be or how they can better prepare uh, to deal with problems as and when they arrive. And if it, if it leads to a bigger piece of work, then great. Um, if it doesn't, I, I'm still happy to help. I'm a great believer, as you are, Rebecca, in, in sharing what we know uh, and being open and honest and, and helpful. Reciprocity is how I've built my business over 40 years. I'm happy to maintain that philosophy as we move forward. I think that's fantastic to hear, Carl. And um, we both relate to that. Share our knowledge and help others and it generally comes back in a, in a different way, in a different format. But reciprocity is, um, is a, a big part of how we both like to do business. So on that note, I'd like to thank you very much indeed, Carl, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. Been hugely insightful, really appreciate it. And of course, thank you to our listeners. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the Lead to Succeed podcast. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rgen.co.uk rgen, website.